Well, if you're new to Northside, every Sunday before we open up God's Word, we repeat an affirmation, an affirmation of what we believe about this book, the Bible. And so if you have a copy of the Bible, either in print like I do, or you have a copy digitally on your phone, let me encourage you to hold it up right now and repeat with me what we believe about this book. This is God's Word. It is a perfect treasure of divine instruction. It has God for its author, salvation for its end, and truth without any mixture of error for its matter. It is the supreme source of truth for what we believe and how we live. Now turn with me in your copy of God's Word to Matthew 27, verse 50. Matthew 27, verse 50. The Easter weekend is the most celebrated weekend on the calendar for the Christian world. It is the weekend that we celebrate the fact that Jesus died on the cross for our sins. But sin did not defeat him. Death could not keep him. Because on Easter Sunday, he defeated sin and death by being resurrected from the grave. But the truth is, the story of Jesus' death and resurrection is a story so great that it shouldn't just be celebrated once per year on Easter Sunday. It is a story that should be celebrated in our lives each and every day. So this morning, as we take a few moments to look back at this story, hopefully, you're going to hear something that God can use to change your life this Easter. Now, before we begin reading in verse 50, I want us to look back at some things that had already happened. Jesus had been arrested by the religious leaders of his day who held a mock trial and found him guilty of blasphemy. They then sent him to Pilate, who was the Roman governor, who, because of pressure, from these same religious leaders condemned Jesus to death. Death by crucifixion. Jesus had been beaten. He had been flogged. He had been nailed to a cross between two criminals. It was now about six hours since he was first nailed to that cross. And that's where I want us to start reading in verse 50. Then Jesus shouted out again, and he released his spirit. At that moment, the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, rocks split apart, and, and tombs opened. Now go on down to verse 57. As evening approached, Joseph, a rich man from Arimathea who had become a follower of Jesus, went to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. And Pilate issued an order to release it to him. Joseph took the body and wrapped it in a long sheet of clean linen cloth. He placed it in his own new tomb, which had been carved out of the rock. Then he rolled a great stone across the entrance and left. Both Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were sitting across from the tomb and watching. Now go down to chapter 28, verse 1. It says, early on Sunday morning as the new day was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went out to visit the tomb. Suddenly, there was a great earthquake. For an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, rolled aside the stone, and sat on it. 
His face shone like lightning, and his clothing was as white as snow. The guards shook with fear when they saw him, and they fell into a dead faint. Then the angel spoke to the women, don't be afraid, he said. I know you were looking for Jesus who was crucified. He isn't here. He has risen from the dead, just as he said would happen. Come, see where his body was lying. Now, there are three things I want us to focus on as as we look at this passage this morning. The first thing that I want you to see is the curtain is torn. Matthew's gospel, Mark's gospel, Luke's gospel, all record this event in their gospels. But what does this mean? Why is this event so significant that it's recorded in three of the gospels? Well, I believe if we're going to fully understand this, we have to go back to the Old Testament. You see, from the time God had established a covenant with his people, he gave them a place to worship. He he first gave them a temporary place called a tabernacle. And then he gave them what was to be a permanent place, and that was the temple. Every time the people saw this temple, They were reminded of the majesty of God, and they were reminded of the holiness of God. But every time they saw this temple, they were also reminded of the sinfulness of man, their own sinfulness. Now, the entire temple complex was holy. It was set apart for God so that the people could worship God, so that the people could offer sacrifices to God. However, the temple had two areas that were very holy, the holy place and the most holy place, or the holy of holies. Only the priest could enter the holy place. And the priest could only enter the holy place at certain times in a certain way to do certain religious functions. You see, the holy place was not a place where they came to hang out or relax It was a place where they came in, they conducted God's business, and then they left. But then there was a place that was even more sacred, it was even more holy than the holy place. And that was the most holy place, the holy of holies. The most important act of Jewish worship took place in this small room that was behind the holy place. In this room was the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant contained the Ten Commandments. And on top of the Ark of the Covenant was a special area called the Mercy Seat. The Jews believed that the Mercy Seat was the throne of God. Now, while they knew that God was omnipresent, he could be all places at once, they felt like that God especially dwelled with them in that temple, in the most holy place, on that that mercy seat. Only one man could enter into the Holy of Holies, the high priest. He could only enter into the Holy of Holies one day each year on the Day of Atonement. The high priest had to wear certain special clothes whenever he entered into the Holy of Holies. And every time he entered into the Holy of Holies, He had to bring a blood sacrifice. Actually, he would bring two goats. 
one goat was to be sacrificed and the blood of that goat was sprinkled on the mercy seat, on the altar. And then the high priest would place his hands on the other goat, symbolically placing the sins of the people on the other goat. And that other goat would then be led out into the wilderness. If the high priest ever entered into the most holy place on any day other than the day of atonement, he was immediately struck dead. If anyone other than the high priest ever entered into the most holy place, they were immediately struck dead. If the high priest came in to the most holy place without that blood sacrifice, he would be struck dead. And to keep the people out, God had them make a curtain and hang it between the holy place and the most holy place, the holy of holies. This curtain was to keep sinful man out of the presence of a holy God. You see, sin is so horrible, sin is so terrible, and God is so holy that sinful man could not go into the presence of God. Now this curtain that God had them hang was not like a curtain that you would find in your house today. Jewish writers tell us that this curtain was 60 feet high. It was 30 feet wide. It had the width, the depth of a man's hand. That's how thick it was. We are told that, that it took 300 Jewish men to pick up, to lift that curtain. And when Jesus died, when Jesus released his spirit, we are told that that curtain was supernaturally torn into from top to bottom. It wasn't torn by the hands of man. It wasn't torn by some natural disaster. It was torn in two by the hand of God. That curtain reminded the people that they were sinners. It reminded the people that they were separated from God. It reminded the people that God was so holy that he was unapproachable. But when Jesus breathed his last breath, when he died, that curtain was torn. And God established a new covenant between himself and the people. And Jesus went into that holy of holies in heaven and he sprinkled his blood on it once for all time and once for all people. And though that curtain says that we are sinners, that torn curtain says we are forgiven. Though that curtain says that God is unapproachable, God is separated from us, that torn curtain lets us know that we can boldly approach the throne of God. And we can go into his presence, not on our own power, not on our own goodness, not on our own righteousness, but because of the blood of Jesus Christ. Listen to what it says in Hebrews chapter 10. It says, and so, dear brothers and sisters, we, that means not just the high priest, but you and I can boldly enter into heaven's most holy place. Why? Because of the blood of Jesus. We can't enter into the holy place because we're worthy. We can't enter into the holy place because 
we've measured up. We can't enter into the holy place because we've checked all the boxes and done all the right things. No. The only way that you and I can enter into that holy place is through the blood of Jesus. By his death, Jesus opened up a new and life-giving way. You see, what Jesus did for us is different than what God did through the old covenant. This new covenant is a new way that not only offers us forgiveness, it not only covers our sins, it takes our sins away and it gives us a new life. It gives us a fresh start. And so it says Jesus opened a new and life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place. And since we have a great high priest who rules over God's house, let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting him. For our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean. And our, all, and our bodies have been washed with pure water. You see, the blood of Jesus not only takes away the guilt and the shame of our sin, the blood of Jesus, when it comes into our life, makes us new, and gives us a fresh start. That's why the author of Hebrews says, let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm, for God can be trusted to keep his promises. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works, and let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but rather encourage one another, especially now, that the day of his return is drawing near. And dear brothers and sisters, let me share with you on this Easter Sunday that we need to hear this now more than ever before. Because it seems like there are many of us who call ourselves believers, who call ourselves Christians, who think that it is okay to, to just occasionally enter into the presence of God with other believers. We think it's okay if, if we attend church once a month or once every couple of months or whatever else. But the Bible tells us here that we need to not neglect meeting together with other believers. Why? Because the day of the Lord's return is quickly approaching. And then listen to what he says. This is so important. He says, dear friends, if we deliberately continue sinning, after we have received knowledge of the truth, if we keep on sinning after we have been told the things that Jesus did for us on the cross, there is no longer any sacrifice that will cover these sins. There is only the terrible expectation of God's judgment and the raging fire that will consume his enemies. For anyone who refused to obey the law of Moses was put to death without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Just think. How much worse the punishment will be for those who have trampled on the Son of God and have treated the blood of the covenant which made us holy as if it were common and unholy and have insulted and disdained the Holy Spirit who brings God's mercy on us. What is he talking about there? He's saying that if, if we say that we have been saved, we say that we have been born again, if we say that we have placed our faith and trust in Jesus, if we call ourselves believers, if we call ourselves Christians, and yet we are continuing to deliberately live in sin, we are deceiving ourselves. And we don't have heaven to look forward to. 
The only thing that we have to look forward to is the judgment of God. And then the author of Hebrews says if if people were put to death for, for breaking the law of Moses on the testimony of two or three witnesses, then how much worse is it going to be for those of us who disdain the blood of Jesus? Jesus made the ultimate sacrifice so that you and I could be forgiven. You see, dear brothers and sisters, when Jesus breathed his last breath, that curtain separating the holy place from the most holy place was torn so that Jesus could go in and make that once and for all sacrifice for our sins and so that you and I, even though we are sinners, we can enter into God's presence and experience his grace and his mercy. Oh, let me ask you, have you experienced that grace? Have you experienced that mercy? Has the blood of Jesus cleansed your conscience? Has the blood of Jesus changed your life? Because that's why Jesus died. He died so that your guilt and shame could be taken away. But he also died so that you could be given a new start, a fresh beginning and through the power of the Holy Spirit in you you can live a life that God wants you to live the curtain is torn our sins have been forgiven we can go into the presence of God but the second thing we see in this passage is a risk is taken Matthew's gospel tells us that that Joseph had become a a follower of Jesus. Joseph was Joseph of Arimathea. He was a member of the Sanhedrin. He was one of the Jewish religious leaders. John tells us that, that Joseph became a secret disciple because he feared the Jewish religious leaders. Now understand, Joseph was a rich, religious, righteous man. And yet, even though he had all of this going for him, he knew something was missing. That's why Mark's gospel and Luke's gospel tell us that he was eagerly seeking the kingdom of God. He was looking for the kingdom of God. He knew that the Messiah was coming, and he was looking for that Messiah. And he knew that when the Messiah would come, the Messiah would make everything right. And when Joseph of Arimathea met Jesus, he found what he was looking for. He knew that Jesus was the Messiah. And yet, Matthew's gospel and John's gospel tell us that he kept his faith secret. He didn't want anyone to know that he believed that Jesus was the Messiah. I've discovered that many of us today who who call ourselves Christians keep our faith private. We keep it secret, and we do that for a variety of reasons. Sometimes we're afraid of what people will say, what they'll say to us, or what they'll say about us. At other times, we keep our faith secret because of what we think people will do. They may turn their back on us and not like us anymore. They may not hire us for a job. They may persecute us. But I believe there's another reason that that many people keep their faith secret they keep their faith silent and that's because their faith isn't real 
their faith is in their heads. They know the right words to say, but their faith has never made its way into their hearts. They have never been changed. You see, it's easy for us to stay silent and keep our faith hidden if we don't know Jesus. But understand, it's a dangerous thing to keep your faith private. Jesus said it this way. He said, everyone who acknowledges me publicly here on earth, I will acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But everyone who denies me on earth, I will also deny before my Father in heaven. Did you get that? I want you to listen. If your faith is real, there will be a crisis moment in your life where you have to go public. And that's what happened to Joseph of Arimathea when Jesus died. I want you to listen to what it says in in Mark's gospel, chapter 15, verse 43. It says, Joseph of Arimathea took a risk and he went to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. Jesus' death gave Joseph the courage to take a public stand. Understand, if Joseph had not gone to Pilate, Jesus' body would have been thrown in a pit, a common grave with people who lived on the street and with the criminals who were put to death. But Joseph wouldn't have it. He was now ready to risk his reputation and even his life for his Lord. He wanted everyone to know that he believed that Jesus was the Messiah. And he boldly proclaimed his faith. Listen. You can't keep legitimate, life-changing faith hidden regardless of the cost. Sooner or later, you will have to come public with your faith if it is real. Now, the Bible says that the first step in doing that is to be baptized. I mean, once we've given our heart and life to Jesus, baptism is that public profession of our faith we see that throughout the book of acts people who repented of their sins and trust jesus followed him in believers baptism and so i would ask each of you who are here this morning have you followed christ in believers baptism if you haven't what's stopping you are you afraid of what people will say are you afraid of what people will do or Or is it that your faith just isn't real? It hasn't really changed your life. If your faith is real, I'm here to tell you you're going to take a risk. You're going to publicly proclaim it in the world, in the marketplace, wherever you go. The curtain is torn. Our sins are forgiven. We have access to God. A risk is taken when we come to know Jesus in a life-changing way, we can't keep that to ourselves. We have to express it publicly. But then the third thing we see in this passage is a new day dawns. Listen to what it says again in Matthew 28, verse 1. It says, early on Sunday morning, as the new day was dawning, as the sun was rising and a new day was dawning, everything was about to change because when they got to that tomb Jesus wasn't there 
Jesus was risen just as he said. Listen carefully. Jesus' death is only part of the story. If Jesus had died on that cross and he would have stayed dead, we would still be dead in our sins. Jesus would have been like any other person who made claims, who took stands, and yet were martyred for what they did or what they believed. But Jesus didn't stay dead. Jesus rose from the grave. In 1 Corinthians 15, the Apostle Paul says this. He says, if Christ had not been raised, then your faith is useless. and You're still guilty of your sins. In that case, all who have died believing in Christ are lost. And if our hope in Christ is only for this life, we are more to be pitied than anyone in the world. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. Did you hear what he said? He said, if Jesus is not alive, we're still guilty. We're still dead in our sins. We are still lost. But he didn't just say that. He said, if Jesus is dead, we are to be pitied more than any other person on the earth. Because you see, when we give our heart and life to Jesus, we don't live for this world anymore. We live for what's next. We know we aren't created for this world. We know there is something better. Our hope is not in this world. But if Jesus is dead and we're going to stay dead, we're wasting our life. We've sacrificed. We've given up. We've followed a man that we thought was alive that is indeed dead. And yet, the Bible said we don't have to worry about that because Jesus is alive. Because Jesus is alive, it changes everything. Little did Joseph know when he placed Jesus' body in his tomb, it would only be used for a short time, that, that Jesus would come out of that tomb, defeating sin and death for each and every one of us. Joseph had no idea that, that future generations wouldn't look at that tomb with the stone in front of it and mourn and cry, but they would look at that tomb with the stone rolled away and they would rejoice because sin and death has been defeated. Oh, listen to me. Because Jesus is alive, you can not only live forever with him, because Jesus is alive, your sins can be forgiven and you can have a fresh start. You don't have to be enslaved by sin anymore. And so where are you at? The curtain has been torn. Jesus, the Bible says, entered into the most holy place in heaven, sprinkled his blood on that mercy seat, providing forgiveness for each and every one of us. But here's the deal. Jesus died for everyone, but not everyone's going to be saved. Because for us to receive that salvation, we have to repent, turn from our sin, and place our trust in Jesus. Have you done that? Have you acknowledged your sinfulness before a holy God? Have you trusted Jesus' shed blood as the only way that your sins can be forgiven? 
Have you asked Jesus to come into your life and take control? Oh, if you haven't, there's nothing more important for you to do today than that. Because Easter, Easter is irrelevant to you until you trust him to be your savior. And so I want to ask you right now to bow your head, close your eyes. And if you're here and and you've never repented of your sins, trusting Jesus for forgiveness, surrendering control of your life to him, then I want to encourage you right now to humble yourself before God and ask him to save you. You can do that by praying this prayer to him right now. Dear God, I humbly come to you today acknowledging I'm a sinner. I've lived life my way. Forgive me. I don't want to live that way anymore. Jesus, I believe you died on the cross for my sins. Jesus, I believe you rose from the grave defeating sin and death for me. Today, I'm trusting you. Today, I'm giving my life to you. Fill me with your spirit. Make me brand new. Thank you, Jesus, for hearing my prayer.